just because you read the Bible, which is the Word of God, doesn't mean you've heard the Word of God mm-hmm. or have understood the Word of God. In fact, it's exactly through preaching and being faithfully uh, expounded, being faithfully administered, being uh, applied, pointed at, the word mucking around in your life, encouraging you, challenging you, rebuking you, training you, precisely in that you're actually now hearing the Word of God. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Roundtable, a podcast produced by Mid-America Reforms Seminary. I'm Jared Luchibor, Director of Marketing here. Uh, We have a great lineup of topics that we're going to be bringing to you throughout the remainder of this year. We have uh, the Puritans, we have natural law, and we're going to be talking about outreach as well. But for the next few episodes, we're going to be focusing on preaching, namely the importance of preaching, how preaching is taught here. And then we're also going to be talking about catechetical preaching, preaching catechetical sermons. In our, at least the Dutch Reformed tradition, there's a history of preaching Heidelberg Catechism sermons. What's that all about? Well, we're going to be exploring that later on. So it's it's an exciting time to be able to bring this sort of content to you, our listeners. As we orient the discussion towards the importance of preaching, I want to read to you this quote from the book, The Preacher and Preaching. Uh, This is from a chapter that G.I. Packer wrote, and uh, then I'm going to pass it on to Old Testament professor Andrew Compton. Packer says this, Preaching focuses the identity and clarifies the calling of the church as no other activity does. He goes on to say, In every age the church has had an identity problem, and in some ages an identity crisis. Why? Because the world always wants to assimilate the church to itself and thereby swallow it up and is always putting the church under pressure to that end. And to such pressure, the church, at least in the West, has constantly proved very vulnerable. The results of it can be seen today in the extremely weak sense of identity that many churches have. Their adherents think of them more as social clubs like Shriners, Elks, Freemasons, and Rotarians, or as interest groups like political parties and hikers associations, than as visible outcrops of one worldwide supernatural society. And they are quite unable to give substance to the biblical thought that God's people, as the salt and light of the world, are required to be different from those around them. The problem is perennial, and there is always need to proclaim the Bible, its gospel, its Christ, and its ethics, in order to renew the church's flagging awareness of its God-given identity and vocation. Preaching is the only activity that holds out any hope of achieving this. But preaching can do it by keeping before Christian minds God's threefold requirement that his people be word-oriented, worship-oriented, and witness-oriented. Well, it's nice to be with you again. We are going to talk about preaching today. I'm joined by my colleagues at Mid-America Reform Seminary. Uh, Mark Beach, Professor of Ministerial Studies, is with us. Glad to be back. Also joining us is Alan Strange, Professor of Church History. Hello, everyone. And Mark Vanderhart, Associate Professor of Old Testament Studies. Greetings. And I am Andrew Compton, Assistant Professor of Old Testament Studies. And I will be sort of leading, trying to drive our discussion along here as we talk about preaching. Um, First of all, what's the big deal with preaching? 
I guess we sort of know it's important. Uh, churches do it all the time. They've been doing it for a whole bunch of years. But, but uh, it, why is that? How is it vital to the ministry of the church? Well, I think one of the things we need to always remember with preaching is it's something that's God-ordained, Christ-commissioned, mm -hmm. and that Christ, in commissioning preaching, was by, you know, obviously through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is his own continuing ministry to the church, that faithful preaching is likewise a manner in which his gospel continues to be heard in the church, in the world, unto the world, and thus it's a faithful exposition, application of the written word of God brings us a living active word of God to a particular time, a particular place, particular people, so that, uh, if you will, the word of God has this nimbleness precisely <laughs> through uh, faithful preaching of the word <laughs> versus merely reading the Bible on one's own. I also think of the context in which the Apostle Paul ministered. In his day, there was theater hmm. in uh, which, for example, the Greeks could present dramas or tragedies or uh, comedies, and messages can be conveyed through drama. And yet Paul, knowing full well that drama existed, says it's through the foolishness of preaching that the message of Christ crucified and Christ raised from the dead is communicated. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is... God's wisdom. Uh, the Jews may look for uh, signs, the Greeks may look for wisdom, but we preach Christ and him crucified, says the Apostle Paul. But he also goes on to say that it's not simply the words. Uh, for the natural man, the man without the Holy Spirit, is not able to understand the message because we speak spiritual words and therefore the heart has to be changed and prepared by the Holy Spirit to receive the message about Christ crucified. And therefore, uh, preaching is at the very heart of the life of the church. And I think what's important to pick up on that, that Jesus didn't say go into all the world and dramatize the gospel, but <laughs> preach it, is that the preaching as well was not, as Mark just suggested, the preaching was not fine Greek rhetoric. Paul, yeah. in fact, made it very clear that it wasn't that, that it was of a particular sort, that it was spirit indicted. The word was given by the spirit and the same spirit who gave the word illumined God's people to receive that word. And chiefly, or as the Westminster Larger Catechism puts it, especially through the preaching. And thus the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.13 are commended by Paul for receiving the word they heard, which was his preached message, not as the word of man, but as it is the word of God. And so a faithful preaching of the word of God is an administration of the word of God, a living word of God then and there to the people. It's interesting what you were just pointing out too about, uh, about it being different from this sort of rhetorical wisdom. Uh, Clearly, Paul's opponents at Corinth 
thought he wasn't engaged in that. They they thought he what he was doing was pretty bland, pretty weak, uh, not very compelling when you think about uh, the, the sort of standards of rhetorical excellence. Demosthenes of the day. and the mm-hmm. great great orators. Yeah, yeah. Very much a, a central thing because of the command of uh, command of of Christ, and and again we see that practice throughout the New Testament right from the get go, and. Early church. I mean, it's amazing how many how many homilies exist, how many sermons exist from the church fathers. These things are, were kept preserved. Preaching has always played this this uh, central role. Well, the Reformation even rather scandalizes uh, modern ears, modern Reformed ears, at least in some circles, uh, evangelical ears, when the Second Helvetic Confession comes along and has a a title heading, Preaching of the Word of God is the Word of yeah. God. You, know, you almost feel like Bill Clinton. What do you mean by is? Yeah, that's an issue. <laughs> but clearly what is meant, though, it's, it, it's saying something potent there. It's not saying that preaching is equivalent as such in and of itself. Uh, by the act performed, it is Word of God. But it is an administration of Word of God. And doesn't make preachers it, it infallible doesn't, like the, it doesn't make no yeah, it's not yeah. when 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 the second Helvetic would say something that drastic. Well, frankly, we don't want to come to church and not hear the word of God. Yeah, right. So let's be careful not to misunderstand this. It is the word ministered to you, so administered, and it's. I would even argue that just because you read the Bible, which is the Word of God, doesn't mean you've heard the Word of God Mm. or have understood the Word of God. In fact, it's exactly through preaching and being faithfully uh, expounded, being faithfully administered, being uh, applied, pointed at, the word mucking around in your life, encouraging you, challenging you, rebuking you, training you precisely in that you're actually now hearing the Word of God, which heretofore perhaps you were misunderstanding or misapplying or ignoring or uh, not grasping at all. So while we champion biblical infallibility and the like, the Bible's not a magic book that all parts and places have the same uh, perspicuity that, that wasn't the, the Reformed answer to that, that any part of the Bible is absolutely clear. We can just as well do without preachers and preaching. No, 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 no. Um, it's sufficiently clear that we can know the doctrine of salvation for it. That is, a lay person can. However, without preaching, we're not grasping faithfully what that word is saying to us here and now. Right. In his clarity, it was always assumed that preaching was central within that, mm. that the scriptures were given in community, were received by the community, were to be understood by the community together, part of our confessionalism, and the preaching is occurring in that same place. And that's where it's clear. You've gotten in the American ethos, especially a Jesus, my Bible and me ethos. I've had people tell me, well, God's word is never so clear as when I'm in my private devotions and studying it. 
Well, it actually should be the clearest when you hear it preached. That should be the clearest. And I've had, I've had good reform people say to me, I'm, I'm a little concerned that my private devotions, I don't underst- always understand the Bible. And I say, that's okay, I don't either. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it can be quite a challenge. Mm-hmm. And how, how is it in church? Oh, I love to hear the word preached. Well, that's good. Not, this isn't to discourage the private reading. But friends, let's not mistake that for centuries... The word was not available to be read. (laughs) Even by most who ministered it it easily, and certainly by the vast majority of the church, we're thankful for the way in which it's available. But we understand that the preaching of it remains central in the life of the church. Yeah, and if I could just clarify a little further, preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Preaching as word of God does not mean it's inspired word of God, infallible word of God can stand on its own word of God. It doesn't mean it's plenary inspired word of God. But if the preaching you're hearing isn't sufficiently incorrectly derived from scripture so that the message you're hearing is the message of God's word, then you need to have a talk with your pastor and his elders. Yeah, and in an upcoming podcast, we're even gonna speak specifically to the way preaching approaches the biblical text, how we how we unfold that, because uh, I mean, to, to go back to, to Packer's words, even, if, if, if his people are to be word-oriented, worship-oriented, and witness-oriented, preaching orients us to that word. Uh, it, it, it forms us. It, it shapes us so that we'll rightly be worship-oriented, so that as a worshiping people, we can be an infectious people, as it were, a witness of, of the great act of worship that, that we've been enfolded in. So preaching yeah, centers uh, centers the church of Christ on on his word. The one place we can go to hear him speaking today uh, in his word, the one reliable place, and the, the one thing that sets us apart from, again, the Shriners, the Elks, the Kiwanis, whatever groups uh, there are. One of the interesting features, I think, of American religious history is that, of course, in the 19th century, the late 19th century, especially after the Civil War in America, what had been regnant in the continent in Germany and then England came to America, um, the kind of, of critical scholarship that tended to devalue the Bible as word of God, focusing much more on it as word of man and not word of God, that devaluation together with the Jesus, my Bible, and me mentality that devalued preaching. What you had in the churches was a low view of the Bible and a low view of preaching, and I believe this is directly connected with the rise of Pentecostalism, holiness, and charismatism, Hmm. because all of this, you can think of the Azusa Street in in 1906 or the Pentecostal, the the, uh, Assembly of God in 1914, these come out of a series, this come out of a situation, a circumstance in which people want to hear the living voice of God. And they look for it in, in glossolalia, in mm. tongues, and they look for it in these extraordinary gifts that we think are associated properly with the apostles. Yeah. Uh, but people look for such things and they look for, for words of knowledge and words of insight if preaching if the bible itself isn't really god's word and preaching is just the preacher's opinion yeah. well so I, I think it's it's important for us as reform to recognize that if we don't have this view a proper reformed reformational view people are going to look for god's people want to hear the living voice 
of their Savior. And a colleague of mine sitting at this table um, <laughs> wrote about the real presence uh, of Christ, not only in the sacrament, we talk about that, mm-hmm. but in preaching, and I mm-hmm. believe in Luther and Calvin. That was some years ago. But that's yes, very significant, very significant. The real presence of Christ in mm-hmm. preaching. And it's corporate, too. Interesting that all the things you, he just mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, charismatic kinds of, of outbursts or, or these 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 powerful moments of this illumination they're craving but that can be done with no connection to any other christian but you at least need one other person to have preaching somebody to preach the thing <laughs> look how preaching brings the people of god together so you're saying that preaching needs preachers is that what you're trying mm, to that's say a, that's, <laughs> help. that's generally a good thing <laughs> well how will they hear unless someone preaches here, to here. them <laughs> well what Dr. Strange was saying earlier reminds me of the reaction of people in the time of the Reformation when biblical preaching was beginning to return to the churches. And uh, I heard some time back of a man who put in his diary that he had gone to a Protestant church, first time in his life, and he said, it was the first time in my life I've ever heard the Bible explained. And I've that I ever heard biblical preaching, he said it was the most marvelous experience I've ever had. This was a Reformation era. In the uh, time of the Reformation. Diary. Wow. Well, I suppose if we uh, need preachers to do the preaching, then we need preachers who are trying to cultivate their ability to preach. Is that a good idea, perhaps? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, you, right, you go to seminary and you learn it all, and now we're in the pulpit because we, we've arrived, right? <laughs> hey, it is interesting how we 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 as preachers it, it's so central to what we do but we we can kind of start to think of it as easy as falling off a log so that anything i say well must be good preaching because i'm saying it and i'm a preacher and there is that need to be to be cultivating it to be working to be improving that so that we might most effectively minister that word to god's people well the the word has to minister to the preacher himself to start with. It's hard to uh, show people how to drink and find water if you don't know how to drink and you haven't found water. Uh, the text always, I mean, being a preacher is being a man of God simultaneously, being a devout believer, being one humbled by the gospel itself, and then being fired and filled with zeal, fueled because of that, in your bones you want to bring this message to others. And so it's a spiritual task that, that because it lives in your heart, you want to bring it to other hearts. But it's not then just passion. It requires skills, cultivated skills with learning and, and knowledge. And then that's something that on the one hand, we're not merely rhetoricians, but there is a rhetorical side to it that dating back at least to Augustine, uh, laid claim to even ancient Greek rhetoric, not to become, as uh, Dr. Strange was mentioning, it's all about oratory and persuasion but it certainly has some elements such that Augustine talked about, on the one hand, we need to instruct and persuade, 
we need to stir emotions, attention, seek to move to action, and uh, even, if you will, delight at times. And delight can be rather wide-ranging. Sometimes I, I most delight in a sermon that just shows you get my heart, you get the Christian, not only do you get this text, but you get the audience and the struggle of the Christian life, or you you get how an unbeliever thinks and how this word uh, drives a, a good news message to that person. I, I'm most, I'm delighted. That I mean, that, what evokes an amen in the old classic sense? But yes, that's right. Yeah, right. I agree with that. So uh, that a preacher would seek to instruct, to delight, to stir to action and faith. Uh, these are good things to cultivate. How do we do that where we start? Because what you're pointing out or what you're, what you're describing um, can can be almost different for different groups, right? There's there's those in the church who have who have been in the church their whole lives, and there's things that they very easily resonate with. But there's also new Christians, or we 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 pray that there's always new Christians in our midst who don't have the same categories. Or there's children, covenant children in our midst. I mean, how do we how do we mature? How do we how do pastors continually improve in that area, expanding their their awareness of their listeners and and being able to preach this one word this one uh, th this one gospel into this range of, of personalities and backgrounds and people I think it's important in preparing messages that you have in mind three four maybe five different kinds of people that you know are there in the congregation on any given Sunday at any given service uh, the older saint who's well uh, rooted in the church life and in the faith, uh, a young person, maybe a teenager who's going through a, a, some struggles at home or at school, and all kinds of people between uh, those two. And you ask yourself as you write, how, what do they need from the gospel, from this passage? What are they hearing probably in the words that I choose, that I'm thinking about using? And uh, what is the very heart of the gospel and the heart of this uh, message? So that every sermon should aim for, I think ideally, just enough milk that would nourish a young believer uh, and enough meat that would feed and nourish the older, um, very biblically steeped uh, listener as well. But you have to listen to yourself and make sure that what you're saying is clear, it's convicting, it's and it's uh, text-based. And that takes a little bit of time. Um, as a preacher, in other words, I, I can remember as a young preacher, you're often so keyed up. Hmm. You've got your manuscript and you know what you want to say. It's hard to listen to yourself. Hmm. And sometimes you'll hear someone preaching and you'll say to yourself or maybe your wife, I don't think he's listening to himself because he wouldn't have said that. <laughs> um, but it's it's important to do that. And also to tying into something uh, Dr. Beach said to to preach to yourself at the same time you're preaching to the people and you're preaching to the people as a people of profound need. You make it clear 
that you're a person of profound need. And if you do that, I've had sometimes fellows will call me and say, well, this person or that person gets upset if I say this or that. And I say, is it clear to them that you're preaching this to yourself? You're not just this prophet coming and hurling this burden upon them, that you're really, that you're speaking to yourself and that when you do that, you can say all sorts of things to people. You can not only encourage people, but if people know that you're challenging yourself, they'll hear the challenge. But if they think that you're speaking, uh, you know, from a high horse or a, mm. a high-handed position, it, it people can be, they can't take much of what you say. But if people know where you're coming from and they know your love for them and they know you see yourself in the same boat with them. That's, you're, that's so dovetails with what Mark was just saying about the times when just we reveal our heart yeah. in preach. It's like from, from each side of the equation, from the pastor side yeah. to the... Yeah, I mean, there can be too much personal transparency, right. sure. but I don't think a lot of Reformed preachers have too much <laughs> It's not our problem, generally. <laughs> Usually they lack transparency. There's a, there's a kind of message that of transparency that's just about that guy or mm-hmm. woman, as the case right. may be. But, you know, in our circles, it can tend to be... It can tend to be the lecture. It can tend to be something in which the the sense is, I have come to speak. Let me. I'm a southerner. I'll put it this way. I've come to talk to y'all, hmm. and this is all about y'all. And sometimes you have. It's correct that we say you properly use a you in a prophetic mode because you're saying God is saying this to you. But I don't believe you say you in any way that excludes the preacher. Yeah. The preacher is always properly included under everything. And there are points where I'll just say, you know, this is something I really struggle with. I was just preaching about pride or I was just preaching about envy. And I say, and and maybe even just a little, here's how I have a problem with this. And I find that it tends to help people because they don't think the preacher is this remote, abstract this applies to your life, and you have a sense of how it applies to your life. One thing I think should be added is not only do we need to be sensitive to the old, the young, the well-trained, the you know well-doctrinally informed, the longtime Christian, the new convert, but we need to aim preaching at the kind of culture we live in, with mm-hmm. its idols, with its values, with its... Uh, Lack of religious with, categories. With those things that shape yeah. shape us, form identity. Because our people live, we live in that culture, and it, it splashes onto us even while we're trying to cultivate godliness. And it's the world that most Christians live in as they go to work day to day. And if you can preach to the sort of, whether it's a Manhattanite or Billy Bubba at the bar in rural America, you know, if you can bring a gospel message that shows, I get your heart, your struggles, your idols, and here is King Jesus, who's also Savior Jesus, who understands your brokenness and hurt. You're preaching to your own people, too, not just lost people. That's for lost. No, 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 no. You're reaching lost unbelievers. The believers are nodding in quite a bit of agreement going, wow, that's insightful. 
wow, this is one relevant gospel for this modern age. So I think it's really critical we uh, try harder and harder to preach a message with an ear to the person who doesn't have ears, but God can give them ears. It's amazing how preaching even draws together those very different people around one message. There's not a separate Jesus for the person living in a high-rise of Manhattan or a separate Jesus for the guy in the bar who's never been to Manhattan, but that same Jesus calls them both to sit by each other and to hear him speak to them and to declare to them that they're brothers, those who have professed faith in Christ, and this gospel word is meeting them. We'll be able to say more in our next podcast about biblical sermons, uh, what it means to center on Christ. The Belgic Confession says that a mark of the true church is that it engages in the pure preaching of the gospel. And we see that gospel word as that life-changing one that not only changes the life in an ongoing way of the saint who's been believing his or her whole life, but it changes the heart of the one who's never before heard this good news. So a powerful word and a powerful task for the church. We hope you'll join us as our professors engage in the method of preaching that is taught here at MidAmerica next time on Roundtable.